because you're not a moderator. Let me do that oh, right okay. now. <laughs> okay. uh, there's a hand icon on the notepad. Hit that to raise it. Raise your hand and Lara, myself, or Dan can bring you on stage to answer a question. Or use that plus sign to uh, invite some friends or colleagues that you think could benefit from the conversation. With that, I want to turn it over to Lara to introduce herself and uh, perhaps introduce uh, Kyle today. Well, Bob and Dan, thanks so much. Um, I'm Laura Fritz. I am a consultant with Aspira USA and any other firm that will pick me up as a consultant um, <laughs> where I help company, I help economic development organizations um, with their entrepreneurship programs as well as operationalizing their ideas. Um, I'm thrilled to be joined today by Kyle Talente. Kyle and I go back probably 15 years um, where Kyle was a board member of mine in at the Southeast Fairfax Development Corporation in Fairfax, Virginia. Um, and Kyle and I were recently talking about strategic plans and how between the two of us, we've seen the good, bad, and the ugly. And I said, you know, we should really do a conversation on Clubhouse about strategic plans and what your consultant wants you to really know. And Kyle was gracious enough to say yes. And so I am excited to have Bob and Dan with us too, because they both have done strategic plans for organizations. And so this should be a lively conversation today. Um, and with that, Bob, I'm going to have maybe Kyle do a quick introduction and then we'll turn it back to you. Well, great. Thank you, Lara, Bob, Dan. I greatly appreciate you uh, having me on today. This is very exciting for me. Uh, I am the president of a company called RKG Associates. We're a real estate economic development and planning consultant firm. Uh, we have offices in Alexandria, Virginia, which is where I'm located in Boston, Massachusetts, uh, Atlanta, Georgia, and Dallas, Texas. Um, I enjoy hiking and long walks on the beach, I guess. I, with that, I guess we can get into it. That's awesome. Thank you. Thank you, Kyle, so much for that. So, yeah, why don't we just jump into it this beautiful Friday afternoon? Uh, welcome. It looks like Emily and Sharon have joined us. Great to see you here. So, Kyle, uh, I think the, the topic we really want to talk about is really understanding um, when it comes to defining the vision. And maybe you can talk about um, when you engage in community leadership, uh, to ensure, you know, are you ensuring that buy-in? Are you ensuring that process? Maybe you could talk a little bit about that concept around defining a vision early. Sure. And, and that's frankly one of the most important things that I would want uh, uh, potential clients to know and understand and, and have a, a general sense of bef even before we get started, because that at the end of the day is really what's going to drive the direction of the strategy. Uh, as you all know, um, economic development can mean a lot of things to a lot of different communities. Priorities are going to be different. The, the nuance of those communities are going to be different in terms of what they can and can't take advantage of. I'm sure you're all uh, enjoy listening to communities saying, we want to be the next biotech location in, in North America. And I'm like, that's wonderful. But unfortunately, the infrastructure isn't there. And so the, the point I'm trying to make is, is that, you know, defining your vision Hopefully, you at least have a sense of what your vision for economic development is before you get going into a, a strategic planning process is vital because that not only allows the strategy to take a direction, but then also allows you to engage with your professional help, if you will, and to understand maybe some of the, 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 the goals and aspirations you have, what it would take to make those things happen, and then able to adjust based on whether or not your community is going to have the, the resources or political will uh, to pursue those. And so to me, 
really understanding what economic development means to you as a community, really understanding where you want to go and would like to go at the very beginning of the process is going to be critical to be able to produce something quality on the back end. Well, I have to agree with you, Dan. Um, you know, I don't want to belabor the topic about scope creep here. We could probably spend an entire hour just talking about that. But to your point, you're 100 percent correct is when the, the when the vision is not clearly defined early or the community doesn't really even have a sense of where they want to go. And you start digging down the, the path and they learn, oh, maybe this isn't going to work out for us. And they go, well, let's do this over here. You're right. It could it, it creates challenges that could adversely affect the quality of the end product, uh, creates stress for both the client and the consultant in terms of how do we you know try and and you know change directions when a percentage or a portion of the budget has been used up. And so I couldn't agree with you more on that, Dan. I think to that point, one of the things that we try to do early on at the very beginning of the process is not just engage with the staff that is usually the ones in charge of running the process. But and the working group that is created of, you know, various experts, um, community leaders to be kind of like a sounding board for us. But we also want to sit down with the elected officials, because at the end of the day, you know, they're the ones that are going to be the ones that are going to have to take this on and say yes or no to the investment. And so from that perspective is, you know, engagement, like I said, ideally, that conversation has started before we get involved in the process. But at the very, very least, we are going to make sure that they are involved in the process very, very early and hear uh, the progress as it goes on so they understand 
the who, what, where, when, why uh, before it gets to the end product where they go, oh, this isn't this isn't what we thought. This isn't what we thought we were going to get. And then create that that mad panic to try and figure it out. And I am Kyle and I am done talking. Go ahead. Sorry, Lara. Did you want to add something as well? No, no. I was um, I was going to ask the next question. Sure. Yeah, that'd be great. So, to that end, uh, when do you start to bring in the community? When do you start doing the community engagement? If you've already done some visioning before the strategic plan, at what point do you want to bring the community into this conversation? Well, for me, um, and I apologize if I'm. Uh, not following the protocols properly, but for me is the community needs to be involved very much like the elected officials are involved. So generally what we do is we try and do a survey at the very beginning of the process to allow uh, citizens to provide some information, things they like, things they don't like, things that are concerning to them, um, their hopes, fears, dreams uh, around economic development, because it's important to understand where the collective, or at least the folks that are willing to get engaged, where their head is at. And so you are able to then uh, uh, tailor your research and your messaging around some of those concepts. Say, look, we heard you say you want to be this, and here's the research that we've done, and it allows the conversation to continue to move forward. So engaging with the public is critical. And, and I have to tell you, uh, even beyond strategic planning, it needs to be constant. It needs to be when there isn't a project at hand, because all too often times economic development organizations, our clients will not really engage with the community at all. And then they'll show up when they have a big project that they need a rezoning for or a special exception for, or they're trying to get some sort of incentive created for that prospect. And at that point in time, you're off too often, the community sees the economic development expert as you're just doing the bidding of this entity because you're, you're trying to show success and, and it, it creates challenges within the community around credibility and, and, and trust. And so not only do you need to get your community involved early in the process with your strategic planning, that engagement with the community needs to be something that is consistent and ongoing even after the process is done before there's a project in hand, because building the, the knowledge base of your community so they understand why are you doing economic development? What benefit does it have? How does it benefit me? Which is arguably always the question that comes out of the public um, is something that needs to be answered when you don't need something from them. You know, my kids always love me when they ask me for dessert or when they want to go to McDonald's. Some, however, that, uh, that uh, friendly exchange isn't always uh, the same when I ask them to clean up their room or go mow the lawn. I love that analogy. Um, but I guess one of the questions that I have is most organizations have fairly limited budgets when they go in to do a strategic planning process. And 
what I'm, I think I'm hearing you say, Kyle, and I'm going to look for you to help me clarify this, is that they don't have to wait for the consultant and pay for the consultant to do the community engagement. They can be doing this long before the consultant comes into town. Not only could they, sh they should. Uh, like I said, um, I think that, yeah, so the clarification is, if you're a, a, an economic developer working for a municipality or a nonprofit organization, here's some very free advice is begin that outreach process now around the goals you do have in place, around the processes, the projects, the, the, the vision that you already have in place. Because every opportunity you have to build understanding and knowledge is a way to break down some of that nimbyism uh, that, that all too often becomes the, the opposition to economic development. And from our perspective, or at least in my experience in doing this, is that 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 resistance isn't because of a of a salient cogent challenge, it's because of fear. And the only way to allay fear is with knowledge. And so I think to if if I'm answering your question directly, Lara, yes, communities should be out engaging with their citizenry today before they need to do a planning process, because then they will have the trust that when they go through the planning process, they've established the goals and visions, the actions that they need to undertake. And then they do show up with a project. There's already that trust. There's already that relationship built. And there's a deeper level of understanding within the community as to why that's a good idea. I'm Kyle and I am done talking. And Kyle, I've got one more question. I'm sorry, Bob and Dan, but um, often during planning, you know, strategic planning processes, there's kind of the ten, same 10 people that get invited to every meeting um, or show up at every meeting to talk about economic development or whatever the subject is. How, how do you encourage your clients to engage new voices as part of their strategic planning process? That is a fantastic question, Lara. I think, I think, and one of the biggest challenges that a lot of our, my clients do face is it, it usually is the same group of individuals that are passionate about economic development that want to be involved. And so they end up being the same folks that serve on the working group. And sometimes that that dovetails nicely with a good diversity within the community. Unfortunately, oftentimes it doesn't. And so the way that we go about doing it, we have a, a formula that we use in terms of the types of representatives we want to see on our working groups. Um, you know, for example, we always seek out a if, if the community has a downtown, a downtown business representative. We always want to try and get a member from the local either uh, Latino or African-American Chamber of Commerce. Um, and it's once again, not to say that these folks aren't participating, but we try and encourage our clients to broaden and make sure that the voices that are in the room while we're going through the process represent a wide variety of business and community interests. Uh, within the process. And I will say one of the other things that we do also is we ask them to invite folks that maybe are or groups that are opposed to economic development. Um, you know, there's one project in particular where they invited someone from the local land conservancy to serve on the working group. And, you know, the reason why we do that is it's, it's important to hear sometimes the counterpoint to what you're trying to do to understand the perspective so that you can have an intelligent and, and fact-based conversation rather than, you know, what sometimes unfortunately plays out in the public realm, which is, you know, through, through the media, if you will, and not necessarily an intelligent conversation. So that's the way that we try to help our clients um, combat that is 
we put together a very specific list of folks we'd like to see on the working group, which oftentimes have been beyond what they usually invite. And then also, you know, once again, even inviting those to participate that are skeptical of economic development and why you do it and how you do it so that they can have their voices heard and, and possibly even come to some form of understanding through the process. I am done speaking. Great. Thanks, Kyle. Bob, back to you. Thank you, Laura. Thank you, Kyle. That's some, that's some really interesting insight to provide there as well. And, and so along Laura, Laura's point, I just kind of want to take it a little bit to the left and talk about housing and economic development and the connection between the two. So, you know, we think about baby boomers and housing costs and traffic, community, all of that sort of stuff. I wonder what your thoughts are sort of on that idea. Well, from, from my perspective, housing and economic development are inextricably linked. They, you literally can't do one without the other. Um, you know, at the very base factor is you're trying to preserve jobs you have and, and attract new jobs to the community. Those are going to require either folks in the community to take those jobs or, or what often happens also is it attracts more workers to the region. And so if, prior to COVID, right, if you looked at unemployment rates throughout the uh, United States, there wasn't a whole lot of labor to be had. I mean, unemployment rates were down in the low, in the low single digits in many communities and some more uh, successful areas, it was at two or 3%. And that's very, very challenging to then um, find workers for a company looking to expand or a company looking to relocate there. And so I say that to say at a base level, the connection of housing and the availability of housing and job growth are, are connected. Um, more importantly is it's also the diversity of housing. Um, you mentioned, Bob, baby boomers, and that's a, that's a great challenge, frankly, that economic development folks have. Uh, almost every community we worked in, when we have looked at employment trends, has shown that the number of workers that are 55 and older are becoming a greater and greater proportion of the labor force. And, and that's to do the baby boomers and the size, the disproportionate size of that generation, you know, naturally aging, as we all do. And so, but the challenge there is, is that when all those folks hit retirement age or, or semi-retirement age, communities are going to need workers to backfill them in their existing positions just to sustain what they have. Well, one of the biggest differences between the baby boomers and prior generations is they're not relocating to retirement areas as near as frequently or near as uh, uh, commonly as has had in the past. They are tending to want to stay in their communities. They're tending to want to look for housing that is smaller than the you know, large single family detached home that they've lived in, raised their families in. And so it's creating a crush um, two ways. Number one is you have this increased demand for non-single family housing in these areas, which we can have another hour conversation on why communities aren't supporting more multifamily development. But then you're also having the fact that these folks are leaving the workforce, not leaving their home, which in the past they would leave their home and the next worker would move in behind them and take the job you're now having to replace workers and you don't have the housing to backfill them into. And so it's creating, and, and, and I don't need to explain to anybody on this, this discussion right now, the impact of housing prices, even before COVID-19 and what has been going on in areas that have had strong economies and, and strong growing economies. And then COVID has just really just blown it out of the water. So, to that end, Kyle, when we talk about the baby boomers and talent, how important is bringing in the talent and workforce conversation? And 
what kinds of data should your economic development clients be putting together in preparation for a strategic planning process? Um, I, I think that the, um, the type of data that you should be looking for, I'll start at the back end and go back to the front end. Uh, there are a number of different secondary data sources out there uh, that are available. Um, we tend to rely on a, a, a company called EMSI, MZ, that does a lot of workforce. They, they, they track uh, job openings, uh, um, talent, work talent by um, education, current industry. It, it's a very dynamic data set. And so data sources like that, and they're not the only one out there, um, but data sources like that are invaluable from the standpoint of understanding the change in your labor force and the change in your employment base. And because, as we all know, particularly in those areas that historically have been production-based economies, the continual transition from production to service-based and technology-based is requiring a lot of those folks to have to reskill to, to continue to be successful. And so those are the types of data sources that I think that I would recommend uh, communities trying to invest into or, or, or use to be able to identify what those trends are. But, you know, even be even more simple than that is engagement with your existing businesses, engagement with your business leaders, the, the companies that are operating within your municipality or within your region and understanding what their data needs are. I think that's one of the challenges that uh, a lot of our clients seem to struggle with is they don't have good real-time data, right? Because no matter what data source you purchase, there's always going to be some lag and there's going to be some level of what, what we call top-down analysis, which is understanding and looking at trends and analytics through a formula rather than through boots on the ground type of situation. And so a, a committed investment and engagement with your existing businesses to understand their workforce needs, challenges, changes, uh, is is a critical component to that because, and it's a component to what we do because we can look at data all day long, but if you don't go out there and talk to the individual business saying, you know, the data says you should be needing X, Y, Z type of worker. And they go, what I really need is this. And so that's where you can strike up those conversations through the strategic planning process. That's when we get the workforce investment boards the technical colleges, the four-year colleges, the, the, the technical vocational schools, we bring all those through when we do these studies to bear because they're all going to have a piece of that story. You know, the high schools have their, their vocational and technical uh, programs. Uh, the the, the two-year colleges, community colleges, technical colleges will have theirs. Obviously, four-year colleges tend to focus on the, the bachelor, baccalaureate and beyond degrees. And everyone will have a little piece of the story to tell, but a lot of times they're not integrated very well. And so you're creating programs, for example, that have nothing to do with the need of the local business community, but it was some sort of state mandate that was handed down from the Board of Regents. And a lot of times it's just that lack of understanding of how these programs are created and what programs are needed and then being able to communicate that to the powers that be that make those decisions can be a difference maker in trying to help provide the types of training programs, workforce resources to better connect the labor we have, the labor we're trying to attract and the types of companies that are having success in our community. That's perfect, Kyle. And um, to that end, what are some ways that economic development organizations can help you as the consultant 
make sure that that information gets woven into the strategic plan. Um, well, I mean, uh, the, the, the cheeky response, right, Lara, is that, you know, this is a partnership. While we are the technical experts that are collecting the data, analyzing the data, and bringing it back to the community with, with our recommendations based on our experience, um, is, is that, is that two-way street, which is going back to where we started this conversation, awareness of what your vision, what your goals, what your needs and priorities are, and ensuring that the process is addressing that. And so, you know, it's kind of going a little bit full circle in that discussion is if the community is, is engaging with its citizens and it's engaging with its businesses and they've created this vision saying, look, we have, you know, and, and the obvious answer, obvious uh, uh, challenge that many communities have is nurses, right? Many communities are, you know, it's an it's a industry-wide challenge of finding nurses for facilities. And so, okay, now that we have that tidbit of information, hey, consultant, can you verify that through your analysis? And then how do we create strategies? How do we engage with the, the high school, the technical college, and the four-year university that we have to build a program that allows folks, you know, to, to go through that? And then more importantly is, then what are the process, the steps we take to advertise those programs to our residents to offer them an opportunity? Because oftentimes that's another challenge that our, our clients face is, is that they may have workforce programs in place, but they're not being well advertised and the community really doesn't understand them. And I go back to the comment of they don't know what the benefit is to them to participate in them. And so sometimes you have to focus on that communication, outreach and marketing piece of it internally as much as you, you know, want you, people think economic development, which is bringing in the company from the outside. Perfect. Uh, and it looks like we have some folks that have some questions. And so um, I, I'm going to start with Kuram. Kuram, would you like to ask your question? Hi, everybody. How are you doing? Thank you so much, uh, Laura, for giving me the, the mic. Uh, I am an entrepreneur, uh, a marketeer, so I'm not an econ, uh, you know, uh, professional like you guys are. But I think one, uh, I, I just quickly wanted to, because I've seen what is going on in different communities. Uh, and one of my suggestions that I feel from an entrepreneurial perspective is to uh, add clarity uh, to what each city offers. And I've been saying this to a lot of different, uh, you know, decision makers that North America, for example, does not have its own version of Alibaba. Distributors, businesses, uh, you know, even entrepreneurs, uh, the, the clarity on having a, a, a very clear network and especially a digital solution uh, is, is not there. So that is just something on top of my ha uh, head I wanted to add to, uh, you know, this amazing conversation that you guys are having. Well, thank you so much. We appreciate your insight. Um, Dan and Kyle, that is such a good point, which is really supporting entrepreneurs and innovation in um, economic development. Dan, I know you've done a lot of work around this, um, especially in Innisfil. Um, but I'd love to hear from both of you on how you incorporate that as part of strategic planning. Uh, <laughs> um, maybe. So uh, I was kind of winging it there, Dan. Thanks. 
<laughs> but I, I'm curious as to how, as consultants, you work with your economic development organizations to put together um, innovation and economic or uh, entrepreneurial ecosystems as part of the strategic planning process. Kyle, how are you incorporating innovation and entrepreneurship? Well, I, 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 to, to mirror a little bit of what Dan said is it's, it's looking at the, the strengths, not just of the community or the region you're working for, but, you know, the larger marketplace that's there, uh, the, the skills and talents of the labor force, the, 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 the proximity and access to infrastructure and technology like fiber um, all those things play into making the recommendations around how do you do that. You know, one of the things that we have learned through, at least recently, is the the challenge that communities have about home-based businesses and how they track that because the information oftentimes is spotty. Some, a lot of times those home-based businesses fly under the radar either because they don't know any better or on purpose. And so it, it is trying to harness the data that's out there and working with the communities to help them better collect good information on that. Um, but I would say to, to, to tack on to Dan a little bit is oftentimes when communities make a mistake around entrepreneurial development or innovation is because they stay too general or they just try and do this one size fits all process. And, you know, when every community tries to do, you know, and, and forgive me for picking on this, the business incubator, and there's one now in every community, oftentimes multiple in, 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 in every community, 
it becomes too much supply and not enough demand. And so the way we do it is around trying to identify what those competitive strengths are, whether it is, you know, uh, like when I worked in the North Fulton County area in Georgia and identifying the number of fintech companies that are located up there, or working in Shenandoah County, Virginia, where they had a, a, a very strong but kind of not really well-directed Farm Bureau is looking at the opportunities within the communities that you're working in and then helping them define a very focused and a very defined strategy of how to build their entrepreneurial and innovation sectors around that. Because, you know, if, you, if it's just a general, we're going to do an incubator, oftentimes those struggle because it's, it's, it's the needs across all different sectors are so different that you really just, you really can't be a catch-all. In, 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 that, in that space from our experience. I am done speaking. Great, thank you both so much. That was really helpful. Uh, welcome Emily, Sharon and Emily. It's great to see you ladies. Um, did you have a question or wanna share? Hey Laura, um, thanks. This is Emily Brown. Um, I have spent time as a strategic planning consultant and my challenge in that role was finding useful community feedback. Um, I often felt that, you know, even with groups that did a good job of doing community feedback, there was a, a gap of, in knowledge between what, how the community could talk about economic development and how the uh, organization did. Um, so I'm just wondering about experiences with kind of um, creating a shared vocabulary around economic development. Ooh, that's a great question. Kyle, Dan? Kyle, thoughts on that shared language? Sure. I, you know, I, I go back to the conversation around the education piece, um, which is the engagement early and often with the decision makers, with the community. Um, uh, uh, the, I, I agree with Dan to a certain extent is, you know, a lot of times these strategic planning processes are six to 12 months long. And so you're, you're only engaging with the community a few times during that time period. 
is really not for the consultant side of things to be able to fully develop that and flesh that out to a sense of maybe where ultimately you would want the community's vernacular to be, right? But I think that that the, the process that we take in terms of the approach in the, the meetings we have and what we talk about at those meetings and how we present the information and how we incorporate the feedback that we get through things like the community survey, our engagement with the elected officials. We oftentimes do extensive one-on-one -on -one and focus group discussions early in the process to try and understand those fears, challenges, hopes, and dreams, and then bring those topics back when we're presenting and, and disseminating information. Because that's where you really get those aha moments, at least in our experiences, when I say something like, we heard the community say that this is a concern. Well, here's what we learned about that, A, B, C, D, E. And we heard the community say, we really want to be this. And here's the challenges and here's what it would take to make that happen. And so what that does is it begins the conversation and it builds a very strong, what I would call foundation in a common understanding of economic development that then hopefully our clients are able to then take the reins of when we're done and continue that discussion. I think you can, I think through the planning process, you have to be the educator. I think part of what I do, at least for a living, is not just the, the technical knowledge that I have, but it's, it's the ability to take complex ideas and break them down that is a little bit more easily understood. And as a result, then able to build buy-in and, and support behind these concepts and ideas. And the ability to teach, frankly, you know, God, I never thought I would ever say those words out of my mouth that I teach, but is the, the ability to teach and kind of bring those ideas and help folks understand in a very objective and positive way, I think goes a long way to beginning that process and, and establishing a strong foundation for those communities. And, and, you know, communities where that's already strong, a lot of times, yeah, we are able to do a little bit more and get a little bit more creative and get a little bit more uh, further down the line in terms of specificity and, and, and unique ideas. But, you know, I believe that the processes that many of myself and, and, you know, fellow consultants have processes to try and build that language, but it's an important component of it. And, I, and, and to your point, Emily, is something that um, you need to weave into the strategic planning process beyond just the, the, the tabular analysis. And I am done speaking. Emily, did that answer your question? Emily Brown, did that answer your question? Yes, thank you. I, I really appreciate that idea of connecting the vision of the community to the kind of later analysis that you've done. Awesome. Emily Legal, did you have a question or want to add or share? Yeah, I guess I'm in the process of trying to do a strategic planning process for my organization. However, my board remains skeptical of hiring an outside consultant. How do you overcome skepticism or just the lack of understanding within your own board and such? Ooh, lots of applause on that question, yeah. Emily. And I are clapping furiously. Yes. <laughs> wow, you're, you're asking the fox to describe why you should unlock the keys to the hen house. Um, I mean, I understand it. I've been trying to persuade my board for the past two years that we should undergo it. But the most they're willing to do is have one facility, me do all the basic work, and then have an outside facilitator sit down for like a half-day board retreat, which was uh, a fight in and of itself to get that. Understood. So, so, so effective ways that we have found 
to bring that skeptical and I can I can share your story. I I, I don't want to waste time on a story, but I had something very similar happen to me on a project I did about 12 years ago where uh, I received a phone call and, and from my client who was in Georgia and I'm in Virginia saying, you need to be here tomorrow because the city council is trying to cancel the project because they think they could do it themselves with a laptop and a, and a weekend. And so I say that this, in, in all levity around is the best way to, to try and break that skepticism from the inside from your position would be to work with your colleagues that have gone through strategic planning processes with consultants, have them come and sit down and answer the questions or address the concerns that your board has. And this is where you kind of lean on folks like here in Clubhouse, right? Where these, these are other professionals that are, that, that are operating that are looking for an exchange of ideas, exchange of information, but talk to your neighbors or talk to your friends or colleagues that have gone through a strategic planning process and have the chair of that board come and talk to your to your uh, uh, your board, or have the mayor or the 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 city council member, whoever it is, come and talk to them, saying this is what we benefited, this is how we learned from it, this is what we gained by having that outside perspective. I don't need to tell you, Emily, that you know I think Dan made the comment earlier that strategic planning is a specialized skill, and the reason why consultants in this field exist is because it's too much work to be done in house while you're actually doing your job but it's not enough work to justify hiring someone full-time. And frankly, that's why all consultants exist, right? You're a specialist that comes in, addresses our need, and then moves on because it's, it, it's too inefficient to try and bring that in-house and then sustain it for long periods of time. So work with your colleagues that you know that have gone through it, that have had positive experiences, and maybe even bring some of the ones that maybe didn't, and to be honest, to be open and, and show it to, on both sides of the coin. But I think to me, that would be the best way to help break some of that skepticism is lessons learned from folks that have been through it and not, <laughs> and not for me. <laughs> That's such a great point, Kyle, with, you know, other people's stories are so valuable. Um, and so Emily, if you need help um, identifying some people that have had good and bad experiences, happy to help you with that. Thank you. Sharon, did you have a question or an ad? Yeah, hi, this is Sharon Sappington. I'm the executive director of the Economic Development Council for Island County in the state of Washington. Um, we, you know, my county is very small. It's like 85,000 people and it consists of uh, two islands that are not connected to one another. Um, so it's kind of, we're, we're not very, we're like an hour and a half from Seattle, but I still, I moved here from Seattle. So this is kind of a, more of a rural, um, kind of unsophisticated thinking. Um, but when I came in in 2018, I had never done economic development leadership. I was always like on the ground in other countries doing work. Uh, so I had a, a lot to learn and they did have a strategic plan, um, but they didn't really follow it. And so I wanted to develop a new one. So I, you know, with my lack of experience, I just said, okay, well, I, I need to get um, input from the community. So I held um, what we call information gathering sessions. And I did, um, our county can be kind of broken up into four different regions that are economically uh, different. And so I had list, uh, these sessions in each one of these. I facilitated them. I tried to get a really mix of people. I didn't allow any elected officials to attend. And I, I walked them through a SWOT analysis. 
And I found that really helpful. But then when I got all the information and compiled it, I didn't know what to do um, because I've never done a strategic plan. So this year, what we did is to give us some more breathing time to develop a strategic plan, we put together strategic priorities. So we did about five-year strategic priorities. And we just took, you know, we had two, we have two tiers of strategic priorities. And within each of those priorities, we say something to the effect that the EDC will, could take a number of roles in these priorities. Number one, we could take a leadership role. Number two, we could take a collaborative partnership role. Or number three, we'll just take a supportive role. So we have that. Um, but now I need to go to the next step. So this is a really helpful call to be listening in on because if I can, if I can scrape the money out of my budget, I know that my board would have no problem um, hiring um, a consultant to do this. So that being said, how do you go about selecting the right consultant? That is such a great question, Sharon. Um, Dan Kyle, I'd love to hear it from the consultant's perspective. Um, and then maybe Dan, you and I can talk a little bit about from the practitioner standpoint as well. So Dan, do you want to start? <laughs> yes, thank you, Dan. Um, you know, it, 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 I, I laugh only because it's like you're asking me how do you pick the right me, and I, I think I think the the response I would give is the more you understand of what you want and are able to articulate it in that request for proposals document, the the better your selection is going to be because the firms that respond are going to be able to focus in on the things that are important to you. So. Going back to the conversation around having a vision and when you start having those conversations and understanding what your vision, your goals and priorities are, the better you can articulate that in your RFP, the better the consultants can respond and give you the specific experiences and tools and techniques they use to do that so that whether it comes through their RFP document or it comes through in more specific um, conversation through an interview process, it'll allow you to really drill down and understand the firms that are more closely aligned with your needs, your particular community, approaches that they use that are, you have had 
more success in your community. And a lot of times that will bubble to the surface as you go through that selection process. I would argue the situations where communities maybe end up with, you know, you, you all heard the dreaded, the, the plan that sits on the shelf is because they don't really know what they want. They don't really know how to cipher through the proposal document to understand firms that are more aligned with what they're looking for or not. And then, you know, they, then they make a decision. You know, I would say to me, uh, and Dan mentioned this, maybe the best thing you could do is ensure you get good references and then actually engage with them. Because well, just like I said to Emily, which is go get people who have been there and talk to them and have them give you their experiences. You can do the same thing when you're trying to select a consultant and you'll be able to call and say, Hey, look, these are the things that I have. How, how did they, or did they not address that for you? And that will help you identify which firm is, is the most appropriate for what your needs are. I agree with everything that Kyle and Dan has said. Uh, Sharon, I would add one thing from a practitioner side is don't take the lowest bid um, because the lowest bid doesn't necessarily meet your need. Um, really look for the firm that has addressed what you really need to accomplish. And sometimes that means going back to your procurement office and having a really tough conversation with them because uh, many times communities will want you to go with the lowest price uh, bid. But I would say be really adamant that if you know there's a firm that has responded to your RFP in a manner that really addresses what you need to accomplish, and if you've done an interview with them and you still feel like they're the ones that are going to be able to deliver for your community, then go fight for that consultant. And Kyle, Dan, I don't know if you have additional thoughts on that, but in many times, I think consultants are willing to, to negotiate as well. So, and I shouldn't say that with Kyle and Dan on the phone, but. <laughs> um, well, well, I was going to say, Lara, that I can't say don't take the lowest bid, right? Because that's too self-serving, but you can say that is, but yes, I think, I think um, to that, to what you were just saying, Lara, I, I think that um the negotiation process is an important one. The interview process is an important one. And, you know, you're not always going to get what you want just because of the low bid. Because I know we can do certain things for $1 amount. I could do a similar type of analysis for a much lower dollar amount. But that's going to affect the type of data I use and the level of specificity that I can provide. And so I guess to add to that is knowing the right questions to ask when you're interviewing folks also is going to be important. And that's where, yet again, you can lean on some of your colleagues that have been through it before and say, hey, what are some of the lessons you learned when you hired consultants to do work for you? And it doesn't necessarily have to just be for strategic planning. It's just going through the process and understanding of how to select someone who's going to provide that technical expertise for you. Uh, Lara, can I, can I add something into that? Yes, please. Yeah, I, I, I think I... I I uh, fully agree uh, with that point, even from an entrepreneurial perspective. And uh, as a firm uh, which wants to do business with different uh, economic teams, uh, my, I, I've got two points I, I wanted to make, which is, I, I think, related, but it is on the other side. Uh, number one, how do you talk to economic teams when you, as an organization, uh, are bringing 
something to the table which actually offers uh, a new innovative idea uh, that currently is not being heard of or has not been thought of. Uh, and I would, I would tell all of you, and I would love for you to follow me as well, because I am working on something that would help any economic community, uh, which is esports and gaming. Uh, it's a $150 billion market in North America right now. Uh, in Canada, it is worth $2 billion, uh, increasing at 10% every year. Uh, so my question, and I, I don't want to bore you with the numbers, but my question is, how do, how do, how do I talk to all of you, uh, which is, you know, what uh, I think, uh, let me, my phone just kind of went on. Uh, Kyle said that, you know, don't take the lowest number, but how do I talk to the economic teams and say, hey, you know what, I am actually trying to create jobs and help you make money here. How do I do that? with all of you. And I, I mean, not, I know you have to go through the whole procurement process, but you know, how, how do you, how do you go about helping out uh, and not become, you know, uh, you know, taped up with the whole red tape, if you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I totally understand. And um, I'll come at it from a practitioner side, which is, get to know your economic development offices, um, go in, meet with the economic development director, tell them what you're hoping to accomplish in the community. And then I would say, look for their direction. They're the experts in how to get economic development projects over the finish line. So I would say that would be the place that I would start is your local economic development office. So hopefully that's helpful. If you need help making a connection, let us know. We'll see what we can do to help you. Okay. Great. Thank you. That's uh, that's definitely good information, but it's still, uh, you know, I, I think it's it's about getting to know the people. I think that's uh, that's, that's what I'm understanding. Yeah. No, that's absolutely it. Getting in, meeting the economic development director, telling your story, um, and then having them help navigate your project. That's critical. And so get out, meet your economic development director. And again, if you need assistance in making that connection, please let us know. We'll see what we can do to help you. Um, Dan, you had another comment.
That's such a great point. And Bob usually is the one to wrap us up. Unfortunately, he was having some phone issues. So I'm just going to check. Bob, are you still having phone issues? He is still having phone issues. So with that, um, I would like to thank Kyle Talente from RKG Associates for joining us today. Thank you so much, my friend Kyle. My pleasure. And Dan, thanks so much for weighing in and for creating this amazing uh, room for us to share knowledge and experience. And thank you to all the participants today who asked great questions. Um, coming up next, we have on the 23rd, um, a mystery session. So stay tuned as we put that together. Um, but I think it's going to be around personal branding. So uh, look forward to that. On the 25th, we're going to do a special Zoom room. So if you need connection to that Zoom room, please let us know. We want to make sure that you're participating with us. Um, with that, Thank you to everyone who participated. Again, um, we are so grateful for your following. Um, and with that, we look forward to seeing you next week. Have a great weekend, everyone.